Well, the uh, inauguration is coming up this week, isn't it? Presidential inauguration, I think. Is it Friday? Yeah. And um, so lots of festivities and goings on in our nation's capital. No matter what you think about the outgoing president or his policies, and I know there's a wide spectrum of opinion probably even in this room, I think you've got to admit how truly remarkable it was that the United States elected a black president, and for two terms. I think just a few decades ago, that notion would have been unthinkable to a lot of people. The national holiday that's going to be celebrated on Monday acknowledges the the, the massive contribution, really, that Martin Luther King Jr. made back in the 60s to the movement that would eventually create the climate that would, um, where a groundbreaking event like electing a, a black president could occur in this country. And so I think any listing of heroes that you might put together of the United States, especially in the 20th century, would have to include Martin Luther King Jr., that passionate, articulate, Jesus-loving Baptist pastor from Atlanta. The other night I rented and watched the movie Selma. Anybody see that movie? Very interesting movie, and I I was again inspired uh, to see depicted there Dr. King's resolve, his steely resolve in the face of such opposition. I don't think I understood very well all of the different forces that were pulling at him from all sides. Certainly there were some white folks down in the south who would have loved to have had a piece of him, but so did some some black folks who were frustrated by his approach, his nonviolent approach, and they sought to sway him towards a more aggressive strategy for bringing about change in our land. If you talk to an African-American brother or sister who was of age back in those days, you'll likely hear some very disturbing stories of racism, bigotry, all in the name of, that's just the way we do things around here. The day after I watched the movie, I was visiting one of our men in the hospital. He was recovering from surgery, and he happened to be an elderly African-American man. And so kind of on a whim, the movie was fresh on my mind, and I asked him, I said, hey, what were you doing in 1965? What was going on with you back then? And uh, he said he lived, he lived down in the south, in Montgomery, Alabama, actually. And uh, he told me stories about being um, restricted to using only colored bathrooms and colored drinking fountains and attending movies at colored theaters and only allowed to eat at colored diners. He said, uh, he said there was a summer day, I remember, when I was really hot and sweaty, and I wanted to go cool off in a community swimming pool there, and he said, after I dove in and and I came up out of the water, I saw everybody else getting out of the pool and staring at me like I had some sort of infectious disease. You know, I could see the pain in his eyes even 50 years later after that event. I know uh, problems still remain in our country. We haven't solved that issue totally, but I I do believe that we should all thank God for Martin Luther King Jr., whose faith in Jesus Christ drove him to do something about this that he saw in our land, this injustice he saw all around him that was so dehumanizing. 
I view him as an all-in kind of guy. He once explained where his passion came from. He said this, The new birth is essential if we are going to be transformed nonconformists. It's only through an inner spiritual transformation that we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of this world in a humble and loving spirit. Just like the early Christians, we must move into a sometimes hostile world armed with the revolutionary gospel of Jesus Christ. With this powerful gospel, we shall boldly challenge the status quo. So, I don't know about you, but I thank God for flesh and blood examples. Men and women who allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to take root in their heart and then let it move them to boldly confront culture with humility and with confidence and, yes, with restraint and to do so at great cost. And so in this opening series here in 2017 at New Life, we've been talking about the challenge that is before us to be all in with Christ. And last weekend, I asked us to imagine together what it could be like if all of us were all in. If all of us were all in with Christ and, and how adventurous that would be. I reminded you that Jesus was all in for us, right? Holding nothing back. And he calls us to respond in kind. To be all in with him. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets ultimately. Now, we all know it's one thing to sit in a church service like this and hear a message and, and, and get inspired, but it's quite another thing to go out on Monday and live that out in our daily lives, right? In, in the busyness and the responsibilities of our lives and the obligations that we have, that's quite another thing. Or even to figure out what that looks like, what the all-in life looks like for me. And so I, I, uh, I want to take a stab at addressing that tonight, and there's a lot of angles that we could take, but there's a particular thesis, I guess you could call it, that I, I want to try and build a case for tonight in hopes that you'll be convinced, in hopes that you'll take it to heart. Many of you already believe this, and you live this way, and I praise God for you. Others of you are not yet convinced. And so if you want to take the study guide out of your worship folder, you can follow along with me tonight. But my, my thesis for this sermon is this, being all in with Jesus means being all in with Jesus' church. Let me say that again. Being all in with Jesus means being all in with Jesus' church. Do you believe that? Let me give you a few scriptures to just kind of get you thinking about this. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus speaking to Peter, says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And some people think that he's referring to Peter as the rock. Some other people think he was referring to Peter's confession that he had just made, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Some debate about that. But one thing that's not debatable is that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here we see Jesus, the builder of the church. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might 
sanctify her. So here we see Jesus, the lover of the church, the builder of the church, the lover of the church. Acts 20, 28, Paul speaking to a group of elders from the city of Ephesus, the church there. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So we see Jesus was the builder of the church. Jesus was the lover of the church. Here we see Jesus is the what? The owner of the church. That he obtained it. He purchased it with his own blood. What I want to do tonight is offer you five reasons from the Bible, five scriptural reasons why you and I need to be all in with Jesus' church. Firmly planted in it, fully engaged with it, fiercely loyal, faithfully serving in it, and forgiving often. I know there's a lot of things pulling at you in your life for your loyalty, for your allegiance. So why go all in with Christ's church? Let me give you five scriptural reasons. Number one, because going all in with Christ, excuse me, because it goes hand in hand with being all in with Christ himself. We just heard Jesus say to Peter, I will build my church. Paul wrote, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And Luke added, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So according to scripture, Christ, as I said, purchased the church for himself. He loves his church. He wants, its, he wants it cared for by his people. And Christ is the one who is building his church in every age. So this tells me something. How engaged people are with the church reflects how engaged they are with Christ. You cannot escape the reasoning of this. Someone cannot be indifferent to that which is precious to Christ and still be close to him. It's not possible. A few years ago, there was a TV documentary that came out, and it was pretty critical of the church. It was titled, Lord, Save Us from Your Followers. And then a book came out that had a title that was pretty pr provocative, and the title of the book was, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. Then some high-profile Christian pastors and authors got disillusioned with church, and they decided to abandon it, to abandon any form of organized Christian fellowship in search of a more authentic experience, a more, a more organic experience with Jesus. They'd grown disenchanted with church as they had experienced it. Look, I get it. The church is imperfect. The church is flawed. Every single church on the planet is flawed. Sometimes I talk with people after a service here, and, and we'll get to chatting about church, and they're new, and I'll say, um, I, say I hope you're not looking for a, for a perfect church because... Uh, we're not perfect, and there isn't a perfect church, actually. And if you ever find one, don't join it, because you'll mess it up. The church is flawed. Some of you could testify, the church can hurt people. The church can wound people. Some of you have been wounded by the church in your Christian experience. I have, too. We know that the church, at times, has been arrogant and judgmental and self-righteous. 
Let's also admit that the church has often been ineffective at its mission, becoming ingrown or distracted or majoring on the minors or even bigoted. I, I was horrified when I discovered that the church I attended when I was in college had a, a season of their history where they would not even allow black people into their worship services. I thought, oh my, I mean, how unchristlike is that? So I agree with some of the criticisms that have been leveled at the church. Yes, church leaders can let people down, can dis disappoint people. I certainly know I've let some people down through the years. I've let myself down at times. Yes, church members can be petty and uh, disingenuous and two-faced and hypocritical. All this is true. I understand that people have some reasons for not being all in with the church. What I don't agree with is the conclusion that the only option or the best option is to leave it, to defect, to walk away. And I'm contending tonight that, that that's not the answer. Walking away so you can go out and find some pure, unadulterated expression of Christianity somewhere. That might sound appealing, but it's not the Lord's pathway. People who think they're going to get closer to Christ by leaving his church usually don't get closer to Christ. More often, they become calcified in their disaffection with the church, in their bitterness, in their critical spirit. I contend that abandoning the church is unwise at best and dangerous at worst. I think there's a better way. It's summed up in a quote that I read the other day. It's really a mindset. It's a mindset that says this, because the church is the body of Christ, let's trust that the promise of the church is still greater than the problems in the church. Because the church is Christ's body, let's trust that the promise of the church is still greater than the problems in the church. I think we need to believe that. We need to embrace that. We need to challenge ourselves when we begin to think differently, when we begin to think otherwise. Listen, Jesus Christ loves his church despite its imperfections. Aren't you glad of that? Any imperfect people here tonight? Any flawed people? Anybody who's ever sinned or messed up? I mean, my hand's raised. I am so glad that Jesus Christ did not turn his back on the church just because it's got flaws. And as long as the church has people in it, like human being type people, it's going to be flawed, isn't it? The truth is, Jesus specializes in using flawed broken, stumbling people to do his work and to spread his message. And so I would say this, if you are one who has been wounded in the church, hurt in the church, and as a result you find yourself kind of hanging back a little bit, and you're hearing me talk about being all in, and you're like, I don't know, I was all in once, and it, I got injured. I want you to know this, that a wound created in community will most likely be healed in community, not in isolation. It's true. So I'm contending that being all in with 
with the Christ who is perfect goes hand in hand with being all in with his church, which is far from perfect. Ironically, the flawed church of Jesus is actually one of Jesus' prime tools, shaping tools to mold and to shape us into his image. Is that not true? I mean, many of us know this from experience. So please, I beg of you, please do not allow hurtful church experiences to sour you on the church in such a way that you turn away from it. Or, or maybe you, you, know, you show up physically, but you've turned away from it in your heart. I believe Jesus wants to enter into those wounds with you. and Share your pain and heal up, bind up your heart and renew your love for his blemished but beloved bride. So that's the first reason. Here's the second reason. We should consider becoming more fully engaged with the church of Jesus. Number two, because the church is the body of Christ... And disconnected limbs and organs disfigure the body and impair its functioning. Sorry to be so graphic. (laughs) But one of the predominant images of the church in the New Testament is that it is what? A body. The body of Christ. It's all over the place in the New Testament. Here's an example, Romans 12.4. For as in one body... We have many members, the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. I'm sure you would agree that a a healthy body, a a healthy, high-functioning body is a wonderful thing. That's certainly true of our physical bodies, but, but by way of analogy, that's also true of the spiritual body of Christ. I mean, think about it. What would be the impact on a body's health and vitality if some of the limbs decided that they were not all in? Or if, you're, if some of your organs decided to just opt out? That's not a good thing, right? What would happen if your kidney just decided to go rogue on you and opt out? Or what if your pancreas said, you know what, this body is boring, I'm leaving. That would not be a good thing. What if your eyebrows just removed themselves from being present because they weren't receiving as much attention as the hair on the top of your head? Those of you that have hair on the top of your head is what I'm referring to. How many of of you have ever accidentally bit your tongue? Ouch, right? Right? That hurts. What if after that hurtful experience, your tongue said, you know what? It's just too hard to continue staying here in this mouth with those teeth in such close proximity, just millimeters away. I think I need to leave to avoid ever getting hurt again. That's absurd, right? (laughs) But the, the, certainly the whole body would be impaired by the, by the tongue's departure. I mean, that would be hard You see, the Bible writers, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, chose the analogy of the human body as a picture of the church because of the vital interconnectedness of the members of the body and the value 
of each member of the body to the overall health and vitality of the body. You get the analogy, right? You and I need to be all in with Christ's church because the body needs you to be fully engaged and also because each of us needs the rest of the body to stay healthy. I mean, what if your index finger got chopped off and disconnected from the body and set over on the counter? That would not only handicap the body's functioning, but over time, that disconnected index finger would shrivel up and die because it's disconnected from the, the, the vital life energy that flows from the body. Does that make sense? I'm urging all of us today to go all in with Christ's church because the church needs you and you need the church. If you're going to thrive or even survive spiritually. So that's the second reason. Here's the third. Third reason that the scriptures urge us to be all in with the body of Christ, the church. Number three, because there is a great stirring up and encouragement to be had in regularly meeting together as a church body. I mean, I hope you're encouraged just from being here tonight. I am. Listen to the word of God, Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I imagine you probably agree with me that the most basic level of engagement with the church is what? Attending weekend worship gatherings, right? That's the most basic elementary level. I mean, what would we say about someone who says, oh yeah, that's my church up there on Stigler Road, New Life, that's my church, I'm all in with that church. Now, I don't actually go to church, but that's my church and, and I'm, all, I'm all in there. I mean, we would say something's wrong with that <laughs> reasoning. Faithful, consistent Meeting together with the rest of the body of Christ is just the basic elementary level of what it means to, to be committed to Christ's church. For people who don't know Jesus, that's probably not on their radar much. But for Christians, those who've been captivated by the amazing grace of Jesus, gathering every Sunday to remind each other of that grace, like we just did in the song that we sang, that, that practice of coming together should become almost instinctive, unconscious rhythm in our lives. Oh, yeah, we, we go to church. I mean, that's what we do. In this series, I'm going to be challenging you with three all-in commitments, and this is number one, a commitment that I'm urging all of us to make for 2017, either for the first time or for the hundredth time, maybe to renew this holy habit for 2017, being more faithful in attending worship gatherings at New Life Church. You're like, Pastor Steve, I'm here. You, you should be talking to the people who aren't here. Well, I'll do my best to do that. In that verse, I noticed that the writer of Hebrews pointed to three potential benefits of people who make 
the worship gathering a priority in their schedule, coming together. You see them? Three benefits. Stirring up, encouragement, and reminder. Stirring up. It says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Thank God for brothers and sisters who stir us up. You know anybody like that? Some of you stir me up when I'm around you. That's why I like being around you. I get more motivated to go out into my week and, and, and really live it. Really live out my relationship with Jesus because of your example and your inspiration to me. I hope to be a source of that for you as well. Perhaps you could look around the room right now and point to someone who stirs you up to walk closer to Jesus, to love people like, like they love people, to serve God more fervently. We all need that, those kinds of interactions regularly to keep our hearts ignited and on fire for Christ. Stirring up is a benefit of coming together and meeting like this. Second one is encouragement. It says... Uh, Encouraging one another. Man, everybody needs encouragement. Wouldn't you agree? I've never met anyone who said, Steve, I really don't want to be uplifted anymore. I've had it up to here with being encouraged. I've never met that person. <laughs> we all need to have more courage put into us. Encourage. Put courage into us so that we keep pers persevering in our walk with Jesus. I believe in a healthy church, when, when the service is over and people are walking out the doors, out to the parking lot, out to their car, I believe that most of the time they should feel encouraged, having been together with the people of God. I mean, even if they were convicted to the core about sin in their life, or you know, taken aback or rattled by the challenge that was given, or got coffee spilled on their brand new shirt. There should be at least some thought of, well, you know what, I was glad, I'm glad I was in church today. I'm encouraged to know that I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this walk with Christ. I've got brothers and sisters. I feel inspired by my church family to keep at it. I'm blessed to be reminded that I have a Savior who gave his life for me that I might be forgiven and have eternal life and belong to his family. I believe that most of the time, that should be our mindset as we leave worship services, being encouraged. But notice in this verse in Hebrews 10, the emphasis is not so much on trying to be encouraged. The emphasis is on what? Encouraging other people. Don't stop meeting together like some do, but encouraging one another. So I want to offer you four simple ways that you can be an agent of encouragement each time you're here, each time you come together in the, in the celebration of God's grace. There are dozens and dozens of ways to encourage people, but I want to just mention four. I've put it in an acronym to help you remember it, NAPS, or SNAP, or PANS, or SPAN, I mean, anyway. We'll go with naps, okay? So instead of taking a nap in church, employ naps. N stands for notice someone. Notice someone. 
You say, well, doesn't that kind of go without saying? I'll tell you something. There are people that you, you see at church, but you don't really notice them. You look right past them. You look right past them. They might be sitting in front of you right now or on your row. or You see them, but you don't notice them. You, know, you understand what I'm talking about? I love in the scriptures where it, it tells us, it records that Jesus looked at people. The guy who was born blind, it says he stopped and he looked at him. People, a person that other people had stopped noticing a long time ago, they're just blending in with the landscape. Jesus noticed them and looked at them. How about making a point of noticing somebody each week and engaging them with a word, a look, a touch? A pastor named Rick Warren tells the story of getting a letter one day from a man that he didn't really know. But in the letter, the man thanked him for noticing him at church the week before and for the simple act of putting his hand on his shoulder as he walked by. Rick kind of brushed by him and put his hand on his shoulder and then continued walking. And the man wrote this, you had no way of knowing this, but that day was going to be my last day on the earth. I had decided to take my life that night if God didn't show me, there was at least one person in this world who noticed me, who cared for me. Pastor Rick, you saved my life. Thank you. You just don't know. You just don't know what somebody's going through who's sitting in your row or ahead of you or behind you. You don't know what kind of week they've had. You don't know what level of despair they might be feeling, what pit they might you know, be in in their life. And this small act of simple, simply noticing them might have an impact on their life far beyond what you would think. You can encourage someone even today just by noticing them as a valuable person on this planet. Notice them. That's N. A. N-A. A is appreciate someone. Notice someone. Appreciate someone. I too easily forget just how important appreciation is. One man said, appreciation is the oxygen of the human soul. And I think that's probably true. Too many people are suffocating in an environment devoid of much appreciation at all. Maybe your family is like that or maybe your workplace is like that. People starving for appreciation. There's a... Um, there's a pilot in our congregation here who recently, I can tell, he's been making a point of appreciating me pretty regularly. He's been, he'll come up to me and he'll just look at me and say, hey, Pastor Steve, I just want to tell you, I think you're doing a great job. I really appreciate your, your teaching and, and your leadership in this church. It's just a few words coming out of his mouth, but you know what? It, it, it invigorates me, makes me want to keep at it, do better. Stay faithful. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. The Bible says a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, priceless, beautiful. What if you made a point every week of speaking those life-giving words to someone by simply appreciating them? Somebody here. I don't know, an usher, a, a children's ministry volunteer. A worship team member, a tech person who serves faithfully every week for hours and hours, someone who uh, leads a small group, a person who's 
invested in your life or been an example to you? It's amazing how uplifting just a simple, hey, I just want to thank you for what you do. Or I want to thank you for who you are, the kind of person that you are. It's amazing how that can just fill a person's soul. Notice someone. Appreciate someone. P, pray with someone. Yeah, pray with someone. When I think about the things that can that can happen in here that don't usually happen out there, this is one of them. I mean, unless you're in an unusual situation at your workplace or your campus, I, I mean, do people come up to you and pray with you? <laughs> but that happens in here all the time. And I love when I see that happening in here, in this room, out in that cafe, in the prayer room, all over the building. I wonder, how many of you have been encouraged to have somebody pray with you recently about something in your life? Anybody? Anybody been encouraged by that? Okay, a few of you. So here are two phrases I want to encourage you to speak often here. Here's one. Would you be able to pray with me? Would you be able to pray with me? It's a great phrase. Something's going on in your life. Something's weighing on you. Hey, hey would you be able to pray with me? You mean like right now? Yeah, like right now. <laughs> and here's the other one. Is there anything I could pray with you about? Anything I could pray with you about? Coming before the Lord together in prayer is just so encouraging in so many ways. Let's be generous with our praying. N-A-P-S. Schedule coffee with someone. <laughs> Set up a coffee with someone to talk more. You meet someone at church here. Hey, Jim, great to meet you. Hey, um, I'd love to get coffee together with you sometime soon to hear more of your story. W would you be open to that? I do this all the time. Get coffee with someone. Isn't it true that when somebody takes an interest in your life and in your story that it's encouraging? When someone regards that as valuable, as, as precious? You mean you want to hear my story? You want to sit down over a cup of coffee and hear my story? Yeah, I love hearing people's stories. That's encouraging to people. Why not start asking God to show you whose story you would be blessed to hear over a cup of cappuccino in the next couple of weeks? I'll bet there's someone who would be willing to do that. Are those helpful to you? Notice someone. Appreciate someone. Pray with someone. Schedule coffee with someone to talk more and hear their story. Listen, we all need regular encouragement. We can all give encouragement through just some very simple acts of caring for people. The Lord wants this for us, and it's a, a wonderful benefit of being part of a healthy and loving church family. And then there's the reminder part. The Hebrews passage indicates that Christians are going to need encouragement more and more as we what? See the, what does it say? The day approaching. The day. Inauguration day? No. This is easy to lose sight of, I think, in our busy lives. It's the day of what? The Lord's return. 
And I agree, I agree with the writer of Hebrews. Apart from regularly being here together and sitting under the teaching of God's word and singing songs that celebrate Jesus' promises to, to his people and apart from rubbing shoulders with the people of God every week, it's just too easy to forget that Jesus is coming back. That that day is fast approaching. The day that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, what does it say? Encourage one another with these words. But you know what? If we're not in church regularly, to be reminded of that, we might not think much about it. Because our lives are full, our lives are busy, we got lots going on. We all need regular reminders that this life is not all there is. That there's a life to come beyond the grave that stretches infinitely into eternity. That this life really is kind of brief here. And after this life, there's a heaven. And there's a hell, and people will go there, and so there's an eternity to be preparing for. You and I need to be all in with Christ's church so we don't lose sight of these momentous, eternal truths that should be shaping our decisions and our priorities now. Listen, nobody in eternity, no one in eternity will look back on their life here and say, well, I really wish I'd been less committed to Christ's church. No one says that. You'll be glad then that you embraced Christ's priorities for you now. I guarantee you that. All right, a couple more quick reasons to go all in with Christ's church. These motivate me as well when I stop and think about them. Number four, because the church, when it's working right, is a beautiful thing to behold and to be a part of. When it's working right. Despite its blemishes, the church of Jesus Christ shines brightly in this world. Did you know that? The church can and does bring lots of hope to people. Lots of people. It brings lots of good news to people, hurting people near and far, locally and globally. How many of you have ever been blessed by being connected with a church? I know I have. And fifth, go all in with Christ's church because everyone longs to be part of something larger than themselves. Isn't that true? Everybody wants to have a sense of being joined up with something big, <laughs> something that matters, something that's significant, something that's making a difference. And I want to tell you, nothing is more significant than the cause that the church was commissioned with by its founder, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Worldwide gospel transformation. The mission of declaring and demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ to as many people as possible, seeing God use our efforts to change people's lives and people's eternities. You can't get more significant than that, can you? And we're privileged to have a role in it. 
You with me? All right. Well, this sermon is what I call a why and how sermon. We've seen some reasons why. Why be all in with Christ's church? Now the how. And I think I can simplify it by just saying this. I think that everybody in this room has a next step in front of them when it comes to this. Everyone does. You have a next step. I have a next step. Identifying what that step is and then deciding by faith to go ahead and take that step, that's essential for you and I to make progress towards being all in. So let me, let me mention a couple of those possible next steps. For some of you, your next step is to decide if new life is the church for you. That's, that's the step that's in front of you. You just need to decide whether or not God wants you to be here in this church. Maybe you've been hanging around here for a while, maybe for a few weeks, maybe for a few months, maybe for a few years. Maybe you've been jumping around, visiting different churches. If that's you, I would encourage you to get to a point where you make a decision. And, and don't let that exploration phase continue on and on and on forever. Yes, it's an important decision. You need sufficient information. I'm just suggesting that, that dating the church for an overly extended period of time has a downside to it, both for you and for the church. Kind of as an aside here, I just thought I'd throw this in. Here are some important questions to ask about a church as you're gathering information and trying to make this decision. Five things to find out before you join a church. This is free from Pastor Steve, okay? First, what's the primary driving force behind the church's ministry and mission? What's being given center stage in this church? What's being put in the spotlight? What's being featured What's the driving force? You need to spend enough time at a church that you can discern what that is. Second, what place is being given to the Word of God, to the Bible? Does the Bible in this church that I'm checking out, does it seem to be viewed as the final authority for our, our faith, our belief system, our, our lives, our practice? What place is being given to the Bible? Third, are you willing to place yourself under the spiritual authority of the pastors or elders at this church? That's what really membership is, scripturally. It's coming under, placing yourself under accountability to the spiritual leadership of that church. Is this a church where you'd say that's the, the leaders here have given sufficient evidence of long-term faithfulness, long-term integrity? I can trust them. Fourth. What are the opportunities available for connecting more deeply with fellow believers in this church that I'm checking out? Where can I serve? Where can I use my gifts to serve in and through the church? Are those opportunities available to me here? Five, can you see yourself relating to the people there as family? Just feel like family. This is a subjective thing, I know, but... Can I see these folks as my brothers and sisters in my spiritual family? And so for some of you, this is your next step towards being all in with Christ's church, simply deciding if God is leading you to make new life your church home. 
Here's another possible next step for some of you. It's a decision. Decide to get planted and put down roots and really strive to make new life your church family. So this is the going beyond just attending. You're saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some roots down here. I'm going to start making friends here. This is going to be my church family. I'm going to fully engage here. This goes to that first commitment I talked about earlier, making weekly celebrations a priority. That's the starting place, but it goes further than that. It's adopting the mindset that says, we're going to not just be spectators. We're not going to just come and watch. We're going to engage. We're going to become participants. We're going to get out of the stands and get onto the field and join the team. We're going to take that new life class that they're always talking about around here and find out more about the church's mission and vision and core values and meet some of the pastoral team and leadership here. This church mentions the gospel a lot, so we're going to find out what that's all about. We're going to, we're going to reach out. We're going to make friends. We're going to get to know people. We're going to walk down that connection pathway and take the initiative to find a small group that's a good fit for us. We're, we're going to find a place to serve. This is the difference between being an attender and being a ministry partner, a full-fledged ministry partner of this church. It's a step that involves making a decision. And some of you, this is your next step. And as I mentioned, if you're feeling prompted towards doing this, the, the very practical step right in front of you is to take the next New Life class, which starts in, uh, on the 29th of January. It's a Sunday morning class. goes four weeks, as Chris said. You can use your card to just check the box, say, I'm interested in registering for that class. Love to have you be a part. Here's another possible next step. Decide to deepen your involvement with New Life and its mission. Or maybe re-engage because you've had a season of drifting or wandering. There are some of you who have been around New Life for a while, and this is where you're at. And you know Jesus is calling you to make a decision to go deeper with him and with his body. And for you, this sermon that you're hearing tonight is just confirmation of what Jesus has already been talking to you about. It's like, yep, see? <laughs> it's time. And if this is where you're at, this one, uh, let me suggest something to you. I think there's a powerful step that you can take that many people have taken here. And it, I'm, I would urge you to link up with a spiritual partner. A spiritual partner. Someone here in this church that you trust enough to give permission to get to know you to walk alongside you in life, call them a mentor or a spiritual partner, somebody who can help you discern what your next step is because everybody's next step is not the same. But in order to do that, they need to know the real you. And, and in order to do that, you've got to give them permission to walk with you. It takes discernment to understand what God is calling to you next. I mean, have you ever said, Lord, what's my next step? What's my next step? I know that they're doing this and she's doing that and he's doing that, but what's, what's my next step? It's very helpful to have somebody in your life who knows you who can help you discern that. So there you have it. All of us, all in with Christ and with Christ's church. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Jesus was all in for us. 
How can we not be all in for him? I wonder what your next step is towards being all in today. We're going to continue this journey next week, but for now, I'd like us to all come before the Lord in prayer and ask him through his spirit to clarify in our minds what our next step is towards truly being all in with him. So would you bow your heads with me? And would you just take a few moments and say, Lord, what's my next step? Not hers or his or my wife's or my son's or daughter's, but what's, what's my next step towards being truly all in with you and with your church? I believe that's a prayer God would want to answer, and he may want to answer it through another person that you would confide in or reach out to and ask. Someone who knows you, someone you trust. Or maybe that's your next step to ask the Lord to help you identify a person like that in your life, a spiritual partner. Lord, I pray for my friends right now in this room. I thank you for each and every one of them. Lord, I know when I look into these precious people's eyes, I see earnestness, I see sincerity, I see desire, I see a want to, and I love that, and I know you love that. Lord, some are mystified as to what their next step is, and I pray you'd have mercy on them and be gracious and show them where you'd have them to go next. What is it? Does it take a missions trip? Does it serve in a ministry? Lord, you're calling us to be all in with you and with your church. Lord, for some who've been attending for a while here and they're trying to decide, I pray you'd, you'd give them clarity on that. Draw us closer, ever closer to your heart, Lord. Thank you for being all in for us. Thank you for laying down your life that we might be able to know you. For any in the room who have never bowed their knee to Jesus, I pray that this would be the day of that. That they would let go of everything they've been holding on to and cling to Jesus Christ and Him crucified for them and be born again, be saved. Thank you for uh, helping me give this sermon tonight, Lord. I, I pray that you're using it in people's hearts and minds and lives. Receive our worship now that we're offering in, in your precious name. Amen.